great. Uh, my man KC was like, man, y'all got, a, uh, y'all got a cup holder now? That's big time. And I don't know if I'm going to use it. I'm going to try it. But I'm a yeller, and my wife and child can testify that I can basically just yell all day, and I'm fine. And the next day, it's like, hey, how are you doing? This is just nothing. So who knows if I'll use it or not. But um, my name's Josh. I'm, I'm super happy to be here with you. I'm one of the pastors here at the well, as well as a church planner. Um, I'm so happy to be jumping back into our series in Ephesians. Last week, Tori did an absolutely incredible job um, breaking down the beginning of Ephesians 4, specifically talking about what it means for the church to be one body, uh, for it to be one church, or to have one God. And in that, God equips that church and equips that body to do the work of ministry, to push forward and advance the kingdom of God. And in the conclusion of that text, one specific thing leads us into our week this week, and that is, he says, when every part of the body is working properly, the body builds itself up in love. Now, that's important for us this week because this week, Paul, in the conclusion of chapter 4, is actually going to turn that topic and going to make it a little bit more personal for us sitting in here this week right now. Specifically, he's going to be looking and examining what it looks like for us to actually be working properly as the body of Christ, as individuals. That's going to be in verse 17 through 24. And he's also going to examine how the body itself, how we participate in building up the body in love. And that's going to be verses 25 through 32. Now, what we know right away is that Paul roots this idea, both of these ideas, in one concept. And that is changing. Changing. Specifically, how we change when we come to Christ and why we change when we come to Christ. Okay, now this is crucially important because this week... Right now, maybe today, all of us are going to walk out the door and we're going to be encountered with a couple of narratives in our culture, right, regarding the concept of change. On one side, there's going to be the idea that I can never be good enough. I constantly have to get better. I constantly have to change. I constantly have to keep fighting with myself in order to be the best that I can be because that's what I need to be in order to succeed in this life. And on the other side, there's a narrative that says, I don't need to change at all. I'm perfect just the way I am. If you have an issue with me, it is your issue. It has no bearing on who I am. Yet Christ and the gospel stand in the middle and challenge both of these concepts and say, no, no, brother who believes he's never good enough, sister who believes she's never good enough, I love you right where you are. And I would love you if you stayed that way. But, challenges the other side too, says, but... Though I love you where you are, you're also called to be something far greater than you could ever imagine. And so in that same vein, what I hope you take away today, our kind of main idea, is this. When we truly know Christ, we are called to live out a new identity in him, through him, and for him. Now that sounds really simple, but we have a ton of work to do in our scripture today. To get there. Okay, so let's go ahead and dive in. Now, if you don't have a Bible, if you would go ahead and raise your hands. The usher is going to come by. They're going to give you one. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that home. Take that Bible at home. That is our gift to you. We say it every week. We want and desire your eyes to be on Scripture. In addition, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can just open that app up, select the menu, select events, and it'll pull up some digital notes. You can also just type this into your web browser. and It'll take you to those same digital notes, okay? 
Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get started reading. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, verse 17, verses 17 through 32. Um, verse 17 starts, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak tr the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, as we dive in, the initial thing that Paul communicates to us is that he wants the body to work properly. How does the body work properly? Well, Christians no longer act and live like Gentiles. Now, this is kind of perplexing, and in our modern, everyday language, this is kind of weird. In addition, it's weird because, like, for the past three chapters, Paul's been like, yo, Gentiles are great. They're part of our family. We love them. We're one body, Gentiles and Jews together. And so it's not necessarily here that Paul's like, yo, Gentiles, don't be Gentiles. It's not quite that, right? I'd be offended if someone was like, yo, Mexican guy, don't be a Mexican guy. I'd be like, what do you mean? That's not fair. But, but, but what it reads as is Gentiles, whether you came from a Gentile or a Jewish place, no matter where you are, do not live as an unbeliever. Do not continue to live in your former way of life. Now, why is it that we should not live in this former way of life? Why is it that we should not live as an unbeliever? Is it just that there are better morals another way? Is it better for us if we follow God? Is that really what, what the best thing for us is? Now, all those are true. I'm not at all dismissing those. Those things are true. I think the morals are better in the Bible. I think that generally, right, not generally, absolutely, the commands of God are for our good. But Paul really wants to come at this a little bit of a different way, specifically he wants to bring the light, bring to light the condition of humanity's heart and mind and soul apart from the grace of God. Now, he's already done this a bit. He's done it in Ephesians 2. Uh, it was a hard, it, it, they're hard text to preach. I had to preach that one too. I don't know what Tori has against me. I don't, I don't get it. Uh, my man really wants to prepare me for church planning, I guess, you know, whatever. Um, but he wants to kind of reiterate the point today and examine what it is it's going on in the heart of the unbeliever, of those who are apart from God's grace. Now, as I want to read through this real quick. In 18 and 19, 
They are darkened, they being those who live and, and, and function and are unbelievers, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, I want to take a second because we need to break this down to really gauge the severity of what's going on here. And Paul wants us to grasp this. He wants us to feel it because in order to get us where he's taking us, we have to first understand that severity, the severity of the human soul and mind and heart apart from God's grace. And so as we move forward, if we kind of reorganize all of these things that are going on right here, right, if we kind of reorganize all of it, it would look more like this. The, the condition of the human heart and soul and mind apart from the grace of God starts with a hardness of heart. That is not to say that humanity's natural condition is just in a bitter stance toward every single person they meet, right? Like, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that there's a hardness of heart. What Paul is saying is there's a hardness of heart toward God so that in the life apart from God's grace and outside of Christ, we move about in our lives hardened toward God, unable to see the beauty and purpose of creation, Him. And because the human heart and because the human condition is one that's hardened toward God and unable to see that, our understanding is darkened. We're not able to see, right, the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of creation, the beauty of the blessings he's given us, and see that they're pointing toward him. And it's because of that very darkened understanding that humanity moves into ignorance. Now, now you might look at me and be like, yo, I've met some unbelievers, and they are definitely not ignorant, right? The late famed uh, theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking. Some people consider the man to be the smartest person in the world. You gonna tell me that because he doesn't believe in Jesus, he's ignorant? Paul would say yes. Let me tell you why. Because what's the point of knowing every single fact in the entire world, but not know the purpose for any one of those facts? that know that every single one of those facts is not actually just for the sake of itself, but points us to something greater and something more beautiful, points us to God himself. I don't care if you look at a flower and you know every single microbial, biological, words that I don't knowable part of the flower. I don't care if you look at that flower and don't see that the beauty of the flower is meant to point and reflect the beauty and, and glory and majesty of Jesus. Paul would look at that and say, that is ignorance. If you know the child and every single part of your parenting expert, yo, and, and, and God bless you, I need your help. Like I got a six-month-old daughter. But if you see the child, you know everything about the child. And you know, man, I can form the child and make the child this way and make, it a, make, make him or her a great, outstanding, contributing portion of society. Yet you don't know that the love and deeply ingrained affection you have for that child and the stewarding of that child's life is meant to point back to the love and affection God has for you. Then Paul would look at that and go, man, that is ignorance. It's why Paul, in another portion of Scripture, says the foolishness of God is, is greater than the, than the wisdom of man because although the Christian may not know everything, they know the purpose of everything that they know, and that's God. So, from ignorance, we continue to move toward humanity being callous. You know what calluses are? Um, if you're a musician, lift weights, work labor, you know what calluses are. 
For those of you that have not experienced any of those things, calluses are when your skin gets hard because they've continued to just rub against things, right? And then it becomes numb. So Paul's saying, out of the ignorance of the human heart apart from God, we become numb to what he's doing. And because of that numbness, because of that callousness, we give ourselves over to sensuality. Now, this isn't meant to, to, to kind of paint the modern idea of sensuality, but instead, the word literally means to live in excess, to live without regard, to live recklessly. And with that reckless, excessive demeanor, the Bible says that, that humanity, uh, apart from God's grace, gives itself over to every kind of impurity. Uh, now, you might, again, be looking at it and be like, yo, I know believers be helping their mama move, right? Like, I, like they help old ladies across the street, dude, right? That, that's good stuff. And I would say, man, I sincerely hope that that person continues to help elderly women across the street. Um, but if we do anything apart from connecting it back to the Lord, it is not being used in its intended purpose. It's being used in idolatry. Because all it does is serve for someone to say, man, bro, how could you say that about me? I walk old ladies across the street. <laughs> That's not actually doing good. That's feeding ourselves. Now, what's the point of all this? Now, the, the ultimate point of all this moving down is that the result in the diagnosis of the human condition is that we are alienated from the life of God. The very thing that could help us, the very thing that could save us is the very thing that we're alienated from. Now, Paul wants us to see that apart from God's grace, because of this symphony, this network of sinfulness that's going on in the human condition, it is not merely a possibility that we will sin. And it is not merely a possibility that we will be alienated from God. Friends, it is a fact. It is an inevitability. It's the inescapable diagnosis of the human condition apart from God's grace for which there is no human cure. But note that I said there is no human cure. Emphasis on the human. And consider that I said that this is, not, this is apart from God's miraculous, miracle-working, powerful grace at work in our lives. Now, as Paul turns the corner here, he wants to bring this back to Christians, okay? He wants to bring this back to, to Christians, and he wants to help us see the great contrast between those in and those out of Christ. And so he moves into verse 20 and says, but that is not the way you, Christian, learned Christ. That's not the way you learned Christ. Why would you, you, you know him. See, see you, you've loved him, you've experienced him. Why would you keep living that way? You see, when, when, when you started to learn who Jesus was and you saw the majesty of who he was and the glory of him as the creator, all of a sudden the world began to look a little different and the Holy Spirit began to bring light to this darkened understanding. And as we saw the world more clearly, the reality of our own sin, the reality of our own diagnosis became so much more real, yet the grace and beauty and majesty and love of God also did. 
so that now our hearts were softened by the reality that where we are is loved by God no matter where we are, no matter who we are. So the very things that have alienated us from God are the very things that learning Christ begins to come in and break apart and renew and give life to. So what Paul is saying is, man, why are you living like that when, yo, that's not your diagnosis anymore? Why are you living this way when it's no longer your place before God? I remember when I was in college, I'm going to take a break for a second here. When I was in college, I, uh, I was in a big hipster phase. And yo, like, I understand that I'm up here wearing a lumberjack shirt, and I'm saying it was significantly worse than this. Like, it was <laughs> significantly worse than what's going on right now. <laughs> and uh, I thought in this hipster phase that, uh, yo, you know what I should do that would make me fresh? I should buy a pair of fake glasses. Don't judge me, fam. All right, don't judge me. Don't judge me. There's like a whole, you look at my guy right there. Look, yes, sir. All right. So I buy this pair of fake glasses, right? They were fresh. They were tortoise shell. They had plastic lenses. There wasn't nothing to them, right? And specifically, I remember the reaction to, from every one of my friends who wore glasses was the same, right? Josh, I didn't know you wore glasses. I don't. They're fake. That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life, right? It's every time. Every time. Now, whether they're stupid or not, that's not my bad dog. That's not, that's not what we're here to discuss. What I want to bring to light there is the reason that they felt that way in the first place. You see, each one of my friends who wore glasses looked at me and were like, yo, man, that's dumb. Like, I'm diagnosed to be losing or, or have bad sight. I wear glasses not because I want to. They may look fresh sometimes, especially now we got this hipster thing going on, regardless of that point. I wear them because I have to. My diagnosis dictates that I must wear glasses. If I fumble around, I don't want to fumble around with them all through the day. I have to, in the morning, put on contacts. It's not just something that I do for fun. It's something that I'm, I'm, I have to do. My diagnosis dictates that I will inevitably have to use something to enhance my vision. Bro, you don't have that issue. The worst part is that I got like 15, 20 visions, and I got like a really good vision. So that was the worst part. Is they look at me like, bro, you have better than perfect vision. Why are you wearing glasses? That's dumb. In the same way, Paul's like, yo, why are you still doing this if that's not how you've been diagnosed anymore? If you've been reconciled, if, if you've understood the beauty of Christ and understood the depth of his love and affection for you, why do you keep turning back to the thing that is the explicit result of not knowing that you're loved by God? Why? It's like someone who, who has a debilitating illness, far worse than glasses and sight, being healed from it, but going back to the very thing that they needed to live. Wheelchair, whatever it may be. You see, now, now Paul does make a caveat here. He says, assuming that you have heard, assuming that you have actually heard about this Jesus, Paul understands, yo, man, like, there's going to be a lot of people, maybe in this Ephesians church, that, that may just be riding the wave of, like, this kind of fun new thing. And similarly, in our culture, there are individuals who, man, I mean, there's a lot of us, man, I'll be honest, who follow an idea of Jesus or an idea of God that we make up in our head, one that is not truly the, the, the Christ and the God taught in Scripture, but instead is one that affirms us when we need affirming. 
and condemns others when we decide they need to be condemned. That's not actually following Jesus. That's following a divine version of ourselves. That's not the same thing. But Paul says, assuming that you have known and have heard about this Jesus, this real Jesus, man, then you have undoubtedly confronted some things, you and him, where he looks and goes, man, I don't agree. And I don't agree because I love you. Therefore, you have been taught by him to put on the old, the, put off the old, no, don't do that, bro. Put off the old self and put on the new self. To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. But the question for us in order to really understand what Paul desires for us, what God wants from us for us to define a few terms, and that is what in the world is the new and old self? What is that? Because if you're in here and you didn't grow up in church, bro, forget that. If you grew up in church, you still may not know what that means. You've just been saying that your whole life. You're like, yo, I'm a new creation, son. You don't even know what you're saying. And that's okay. That's okay. That's why the scriptures are here. That's why God wants us to be in them, studying them. Now, what is the old self? And, and the question really becomes, is it just habits and actions? Is it just habits and is it just actions? And this is important because Paul's about to go into a lot of practical stuff. A lot of, hey, do this, don't do that. And if we think that the, that the old self is merely just a list of habits and a list of actions that we can plug into a, a habit-building app, and we get to check off, yo, I did that today, yo, I didn't do that today, so I got to get better at that one, then we're going to walk out of here misunderstanding all of what Paul is trying to say to us. And more importantly, we're going to misunderstand all of what the Lord really wants to do in our life. Now, to kind of get a better picture of this old self, I want to go to Colossians 3. We're going to go to verses 8 and 9. I'm not going to flip there. I'm just going to read it off here. And Paul, in, in kind of a parallel text describing the old self, says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with what? That's an A student right there, yo. That's an A student. With its practices, that means that the old self is not merely practices, it's something with practices. It's something deeper than just action. It's something deeper than just what we do. It's something bigger, something greater is going on here. And, and I love how Pastor John Piper defines the old self. He's a pastor in Minnesota. He says, the old self is the bundle of attitudes and emotions and practices that I was when in darkness and hard of heart. In truth, the old self is literally everything that makes us, us. It's the idiosyncrasies of our heart that actually are slightly aggressive toward God, that put him off. They're, they're the little things that every moment go, man, you know what? This looks more valuable than Jesus. It's every little part that goes, man, you know what? Although God has said that he will give me life and that, that his ways are good, I really think that doing X, Y, Z will be better for me. They're every little thing that works in our heart in order to push us against the Lord. That is the old self. Now, in order to show us what this new self is, though, Paul doesn't necessarily say, hey, yo, here's the new self, right? What he wants to do is actually contrast, again, 
Remember that this is an a, 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 a affair of contrast in Paul's world right now. And he wants to put by, side by side in verses 22 and 24 these, these parallel themes of the old self and the new self. Now, obviously, the first one is you put, the off, you put off the old one, you put on the new one. Right? You guys are like, yeah, bro, I got that. Okay, that's fair. Now, but as we move along, we see that the old self, verse 22, is, is related to the former manner of life. Yet the new self, in verse 24, is, is related to the likeness of God, his character, his life. In verse 22, we see that the old self is corrupted through our own sinful desires, but the new self is created in righteousness. As one is, is corroding and corrupting away through the means of our flesh, the new one is being created, built, and made beautiful in righteousness. The old self in verse 22 is fueled by deceit, by deceitful desires. That is desires, everything being rooted in a desire to deceive. Now, you may say, like, yo, I'm bro, I'm honest all the time. Like, I don't lie on my taxes. But what I'm getting at is that the deceit to look at God and go, yo, I'm good without you, is, is, is truly the root of deceit that we see from the beginning of the Bible. When God says, yo, Adam, where are you? And Adam comes out and he's like, what's up, God? And he's, he's covered up. And he goes, man, who told you to cover up? But the thought was never to go before God and go, hey, I messed up. The thought was to deceitfully hide and try to go in a roundabout way to deceive God. That's what deceitful desires are. They tell us, man, we're okay apart from God, but we're not. Yet the new creation, the new person, this new self is created in true righteousness and holiness, a righteousness and holiness that are based in truth. As you can see, these are like diametric opposites. They're just like the most opposite thing. And when we evaluate the spiritual condition of Humanity, apart from God's grace, the craziest notion in this whole thing is that somebody can go from this to that. Because you might be able to change one or two things, right? I don't, I mean, yo, bro, if you're like the most disciplined person in the world, you might be able to be like, yo, I am going to drink 32 ounces of water a day because I got to lose that weight, right? Like, I, I, I get you. I get you. It's Austin. It's summer. It's like 110 degrees. Everybody wants to look fresh. There's a lot of single people. Hey. But that doesn't matter, right? Because this isn't one or two or three or four things. This is taking everything that encompasses us and it being new. Now, the answer to this conundrum, though, the answer to this is less about what we become and more about what is created. Now, can you actually put that last slide up again, Sarah? I want you to notice something. Starting from here down, in verse 24, it says, put on the new self, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. But the unique aspect of that is that it doesn't say become the new self. Put on the new self and become righteousness and holiness and all these things. It says, no, become, put on the new self, which was created by God. Created by God. It means that, man, we have the inability to make this new person. We are unable. We don't have the capabilities to do it. It's something only God can do and something only God can create. 
And in a culture where we depend on being self-sufficient and we depend on being self-reliant, this is a difficult task and a difficult lesson. Like straight up, this is a little demoralizing for me to look at you and be like, yo, we can't do anything, bro. Like that's tough. That's tough. But some of us are literally now like, so, 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 so what do I do? Like I don't, I don't know, like we don't even know where to go with that. It's like, yo, God creates it. So like, do I sit in a room and ask God to create it? Do I sit in the dark and wait till he does it? Do I just keep living my life and hope he magically does it? We need a next step, right? Like we need to know where we're going. Like right now we're just sitting there like, I, like everybody's on like, it's funny because there's like a whole section of the room that are like on the edge of the seat. Like, bro, what's coming next? Like, what is the next step, bro? And uh, man, I don't know what to tell you. God creates the new person. God creates the new self. But Paul understands there's a bridge that gets us from here to here. And that bridge is not what we do, but again, it's the renewing of our minds by God. The renewing of our minds by God. Man, 23, smack right dab in the middle of 22 and 24. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds that God would come in and miraculously work our hearts, work our minds, renew them, begin to transform them so that we are then able to put on this new self is a miracle of God. Now, you can ask, like, oh, how, do, how do I participate in renewing our mind? And that's actually a good question. Paul addresses that question again in Colossians 3, and I think this is pretty practical advice. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ... If you've come to faith in Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So the first command Paul gives us is like, yo, if you've been raised with Christ, change all your actions. No, seek and think about different things. Why? Because as we begin to ponder and think and meditate, and search scripture, and write verses on our mirrors, and, and, and pray, and go to Bible study, and go to, go to a, a community group, and then, and then go hang out with Christian friends, and constantly seek to have God on our mind, the graces and the mercies that he's bestowed on us, then things begin to change. Things begin to become different. We begin to see the world in different ways, and while we're just unbeknownst to us, God is working and his spirit is at work in our hearts, in our lives to renew our mind so that every moment I can say, okay, you know what, man? I, I think this friendship that's a little tense and is frankly a little frustrating is not actually just something that's here to frustrate me, but God might actually be using it in order to help me grow in being more like him and show the love of Christ to this person. Those are way two different ways of thinking and seeing things. But as we gradually set our minds on Christ, he begins to renew our mind and change our perception, change how we see the world. Now, I'll be honest, yo, like there's a lot of blank stares in here right now, (laughs) like I'll be honest. And one of two possibilities is, is, there's there's the the reason for that is one of two possibilities. It's either that, yo, I'm like botching this hard (laughs) and I'm not like, I'm not past that. Like I'm not confident enough in my preaching to be like, yo, that's not what's happening. That could totally be happening right now. Or two, this is just a miracle and mystery of God that is beyond what we really understand. 
but we walk in obedience, knowing that the same God who loves us, who has redeemed us, who's mended broken things and has restored our hearts, that's taken hardened hearts, made them soft, and loved them into life, that's taken darkened minds and brought them into light, that's taken ignorance and made it into wholesome knowledge of the glory of God and his work in our lives and in our creation, that that same God says, look at me, take the burden off of you and come to me. It's not on you. I love you. And I'm not trying to just set you out there and go, hey, man, go ahead and go. Go ahead, hey, girl, go ahead and go. Uh, you, you got it from here. No, I want you to keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. Keep thinking about me. Keep turning to me. Keep praying to me. Keep learning me. Because as you come to me, I will respond in renewing you. I got you because I love you. Now, Paul desired nothing more than for this church in Ephesus to magically say, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm completely different, right? Like, I'm going to go from A to B like that. But he knew that if it was left to their own devices to go, yo, I mean, I, I have to do what I have to do. And uh, it's not really about God. It's about me changing, right, my, my small habits. Then that would be a weight and a burden on man that, that we could not bear. But he understood that if Paul being, that if he could inform and teach where the power to change was located, then instruction to change would not make a burden on man, but would glorify God. And so now, having established that when we need a new heart, when we need new desires, when we need new power, when we need a new self, we receive what we need from Christ, he moves on to verse 25 through 32. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now, what we could do right now is one of two things. We could go a list, we could just go down the list of actions that he's like, yo, change. Um, and then we just decipher, like, yo, what, is, what does it mean for me to be more loving, right? What does it mean for me to put away clamor? Or, I don't even know, to be honest with you, I don't even know what clamor is. Um, <laughs> right, what, 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 what would that look like, right? Why does the, the, the thief stop stealing, and, and how does that happen? But I don't think that's necessarily the spirit of what's going on here. Because this isn't an exhaustive list of everything that we should ever change. These are just a few examples of what the church in Ephesus needed in order to maintain the unity that God had instructed them to maintain and that he had created amongst them in the first place. But what is going on here is Paul 
gives us three specific aspects or categories through these changes that are applicable to everyone across the board throughout all time. And those specific categories are these, relationships, repentance, and reasons. Now, as we work through these, I want us to take a look in, at relationships, right? Relationships. Now, every single one of these verses, working from 25 down through 32, is about someone else. Speak truth to your neighbor. Don't be sinfully angry with someone in verse 26. 28, don't steal from others. 29, don't speak corruptingly about others. Verse 31, put away all bitterness and wrath and, and clamor and slander and all these different things, right? Put that away. Why? Because, you see, a part of why we change is because our sinfulness, our unrighteousness, yo, it impacts other people. It impacts others. It hurts people. It, it, it scars people. And he's like, man, yo, change, man, it, at least for the sake of those around you. Inversely, man, your righteousness. And when you put on that new self, that blesses other people. That encourages other people. Yo, my man Casey, Casey be boosting people, y'all. If you ever need, Casey, can you raise your hand? He's that good. No, raise it high, bro. Raise it proudly. Raise it proudly. Yo, my man right there, you need a compliment? Go to my dude. You know why? Because the righteousness of God working in him to encourage people, man, it blesses you. It blesses you. I, I, I'm sorry I did that because I wanted to go off on like five others, but I probably don't have time for that. So I'm going to have to... I'm, Rain check on calling you out on all your good things, okay? We're going to do that. We'll do it in person later, all right? But, but, but relationships. Relationships are one of the huge aspects that he hits on in all of these things. The second is repentance. Tori talked about this last week, and I think it's important to note that it continues on this week. Now, now if you go ahead and throw out the next slide, put away falsehood is now related to speaking truth, right? Not being sinfully angry is now related to don't stay angry, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't hold a grudge, right? Not stealing is now related to honest work. No corrupting talk is now related to building other people up. Putting away bitterness and wrath and anger is now related to being kind and tenderhearted. You see, the act of Christian repentance, and what that literally means is that in our heart, what Paul's getting at is we turn away from one thing. We turn from sin. We don't do that any longer. We, 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 we turn our back from it, yes, but we turn to good. We turn to love. We turn to God. It's not just putting away one. It's turning to the other and replacing it with the beautiful thing, with the good thing, with the godly thing. So as we move forward, Paul wants us to understand that as we change, right, every single thing that you notice in your own life, no matter what it is, whether it's your kids, whether it's your wife, whether it's your, your, your schoolmates, whether it's your classwork, whether it's your work life, don't just turn away from the bad thing. Turn to the godly thing. Turn to the good thing. Turn to the loving thing. Now, now the last, and I think the, 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 the biggest one that I think Paul's trying to highlight for us here is the reasons. Is the reasons that he gives us in our text to change. That he gives us in our text to strive and, and, and to repent and turn away and to love others better. If we move on to that next one, the actions that we look at, right, put away falsehood and speak truth. Why? Man, yo, because we're members of one body. Because yeah. we're the church. We're together. Why would I look at my hand and be like, 
Why would I hurt myself? Speak truth in love because, man, we're members of one body. The action of not, not being sinfully angry and, and letting go of the grudge. Man, what's the purpose? Well, it's because we don't want to give any opportunity to the devil. Like, yo, Christians believe in the devil. Like, I know that's a crazy thought. But we believe that there is a spirit in this world that actually influences opposite and contradictory to what God desires for our life. And don't give that spirit, don't give that person any kind of leeway or opportunity. No stealing and honest work. What is it now? Man, to provide for those in need. All these reasons are good reasons. And because we're Christians, these reasons are, are new. They're, we don't just... We don't just, as Christians, right, as people that believe, love, and follow Jesus, it's not just about changing for the sake of change. We have different reasons why we would change altogether. And it's all, again, related back to this God. But the best two reasons that Paul gives are the ones that he saves for the very end. He says, hey, no corrupting talk, only building up. Why? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he sealed you. Let's take a second to think through that. God saw us alienated from him in the hardness of our heart, in the darkness of our understanding, in the ignorance of our sin, our sensuality, and our impurity. And God said, I'm going to save that person. I want to show them who I am and I'm going to invite them into pursuing and knowing me. That alone would be incredible. And it would be worth praising and glorifying God forever. But God does not stop there. He says that now I will seal them with my Holy Spirit to preserve them until I get to redeem them at the end of time. God is a loving, faithful steadfast, long-suffering God. And Paul says, consider the depths of his love for you and don't grieve the spirit that's been given to you. Why? Because he's beautiful. Because he's awesome. The same reason when I saw my mom cry after I didn't clean my room a million times because I loved her. Because I love him. Don't grieve him. You've been sealed. He's protected you. Don't grieve him. And then the big crescendo at the end. No longer, put away, I mean, sorry. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, I want to point one thing out that I think is just fascinating, and, and we're about to close. This is the one out of all these reasons that's not really like a one-to-one -one thing. It's not, yo, forgive because he forgave you. That's present. It's in Colossians 3 when Paul also talks about this. But in this text, he's not saying, yo, just one-to-one -one real quick. Look, forgive people because I forgave you. He's saying, hey, put away all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor, all slander, and all malice. He's saying, yo, just don't ever be any kind of messed up to anybody. 
Be completely new. Be completely changed. Be completely different. Why? Now be kind and tenderhearted and forgive because Christ forgave you. Because Christ forgave you. Again, we set our minds on this Jesus and he renews our life. Now, I, I want to kind of close this with, with a very practical story. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the pastors at the well. I'm one of your pastors and I love you. Um, but I'm going to take a second to just blatantly confess something to you. I mean blatantly. And I trust that you're going to respond in grace. Yeah. yeah. Love you guys. And let this be really a testimony and an assurance to anyone else in here that feels like they need to confess something. You're safe to do that here. You will be met with grace and the love and kindness of the Lord. About two weeks ago, it was a couple of Tuesdays ago, uh, I had had a really rough day. I was frustrated, angry. And we went to community group, and we left my mom, my, my, my daughter, six months old, we left her at home um, with my mom. My mom started texting us in the middle of community group and was like, man, like Leah's losing it, X, Y, and Z. I was frustrated. It was like halfway through, through the community group. Um, and then, then my wife got up, and she proceeded to basically walk to the door and be like, we got to go, right? And this, this little stuff frustrated me, I'll be honest. But when we got out to the car... What, turned, what started as a little frustration ended in me just unloading a day's worth of crap onto my wife. And for probably four minutes straight, I just berated her. I didn't yell, I didn't scream, but man, I was unkind. I was unpleasant, I was harsh. So after about four minutes, I shut up, got back home, I went to the bathroom, uh, and I walked away from the toilet to the, the sink, and I'll never forget looking up and looking straight in the mirror. And I, maybe four days prior, had written 1 Timothy 1, 6 through 7, and it said, For this reason I remind you to fan to flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands, for the Lord did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And the Holy Spirit punched me in the face. Because I was wrong. And for one split second, a mirror in the bathroom helped me to set my mind on things above. And in that moment, the Lord continued to renew my mind. And then I had the choice whether I was going to put on the new self that God had created on my behalf or if I was going to continue living in the manner of life that I had lived before. And by the grace of God and by the work of his spirit, I walked out and I apologized to my wife. I repented to God. Every single guy, disciple, has heard that story and they've prayed for me. And now all you guys have heard it. And the best part is that I now walk in liberty because I have experienced the forgiveness and grace of God. I don't stand before you in any kind of shame for that action. I stand before you in the freedom of knowing I am forgiven by him and therefore can share that with any one of you.
That's why I now put away wrath and clamor and slander, because that, that freedom is not something I would trade for anything. So the question for us today is what are we wearing? And more importantly, uh, who do we know? Because who you know will dictate what, in fact, you have on. Uh, if you're a Christian today and you need to set your mind on things above, will you do everything in your power? Write verses on mirrors. Oh, uh, Holland Gregg, a couple, a few weeks ago, during a part of the gospel, a man was being corny. He was like, yo, write, write verses everywhere, son. And yo, that's true. Man, that verse on my mirror, man, that was redemptive and used by God. Will you do everything you can, seeking out prayer, going to community group, fellowshipping with other people in the church, getting more involved in your community, doing a Bible reading plan? Will you do everything in your power to set your mind on things above, to allow God the space to renew your mind? If that's not you, if, if today you, you've kind of looked and said, man, I don't, I don't really know about none of this Jesus stuff, but when we traced out the sins of our life and the darkness of our mind and the hardness of our heart, something rang true. And when we mentioned the freedom of walking away from our moments of failure with absolute liberty and affirmation from God because of his grace, and, and you were like, yo, I want that. Man, will you follow this Jesus? Will you pray with somebody today? We go to community group this week. Talk, talk to somebody and just say, man, I think I really want to make a step to, to follow this Jesus. Regardless of which camp you're in, let's pray. Go ahead and close up for the day. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace. Thank you that your spirit empowers us, Lord. Your spirit empowers us to um, be new and to love you um, thank you for the grace that you've given us. Thank you for the, the wonderful, miracle-working power of your spirit. Thank you that you've loved us when we were unworthy. Um, Father, today, bless us and guide us into knowing you deeper. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.